This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well. Do you have any big plans for the long weekend? Uh, yes. Um, I'm going to take Jack for a ride at Craters of the Moon in Topol. Uh, in advance of his race there next week and I've got some more writing to do so that will be me writing and riding both of those two things sound awesome I reckon and who are we introducing today oh my gosh today we've got one of my most favorite humans in all the world I have to say Terry Eagleton is the impact investment and partnership manager at Bay Trust but while that is a fancy term, and I, I maintain it should have the word awesome in there somewhere, um, actually the thing with Terry is that her total contribution to the well-being of our community is, I think, second to none. I don't know anyone who's done more for a community than what Terry has done for ours. So Terry, it is an absolute pleasure to have you here today. It is an honour and a privilege, and thank you. You're welcome. Kia Terry. Where are you, Terry? Sam. I'm in Tauranga. I used to live in Pakitani for 38 years, but now I am in Tauranga. And how was your lockdown? We're going back to last year now. <laughs> My lockdown was pretty much business as usual, but just from home. Um, we didn't really have any reason to stop. We just set ourselves up at home with computers and screens, and we just carried on because, yeah, we didn't really need to be in an office to do what we do. We had a lot of Zoom meetings, which got a bit a bit tiring by the end of it, but we just carried on as usual. So, Mawera introduced you as Impact and Investment Partnership Manager. I'm pretty sure she tried to put awesome in that sentence. For the Bay Trust, who are the Bay Trust? Bay Trust is one of the community trust family. Now, the community trusts got their money from the changes to the banking regime back about 30 years ago. There used to be a bank called the Trust Bank, which was started with community money. Now, when that business that the bank owned was sold to Westpac, it created a considerable pool of money in the 12 community trusts, the community banks that were around New Zealand. And the government thought, well, it's not really our money. We can't really take it. Or I'm sure they would have liked to. <laughs> um, so we have to form community trusts to look after the money and put the proceeds back into the individual communities. That's how we all started. And it's a trust, so it's it's got a, a group of people, including Mawera, who act as governance roles in that. And yes, it, it's, it's yes. a charity that... Well, it, and that's an investment in communities, is, the, is that the goal? Yeah, yes. Well, 
our purpose is to is to seek positive change for our communities, and we can do that in a number of ways. But the two main ways are either granting from our funds or investing those funds. So my role in the impact investing part of my title is looking for investments which can provide a financial return and some sort of impact on top of that, which can be social or environmental. So there's three main areas that we look at in relation to impact investments, which is investments which can provide meaningful job creation as part of an inclusive growth project. In inclusive growth just means that the benefit goes to all of the community, not just the fat cats at the top. And we look at that particularly in deprived regions. Um, the second one would be environmental or climate change projects. And the last one, which is the most pressing one, is into housing. Now, we could grant into housing, but our grants total, say, $7 million a year, and that's not going to buy you a lot of houses. So, so really, that's where we can try and make a, a change to there is through investing into housing rather than trying to grant. So the impact is clearly important. It's not just a, you've asked for this money and we think it's a nice thing to do. You're asking people to demonstrate that impact? Oh, absolutely. Yep. So up front for an impact investment, the first two hurdles that it has to cross is where's the impact? Show me the impact. If we can't see and understand what the impact is, then it's an investment, but it's not an impact investment. And then it has to be able to stack up financially as well. So we're not going to invest in something unless we can see a clear path to paying us some return, some financial return, and eventually pick an, ex an exit path for us and a way to, for us to exit that, that investment. And do you have a preferred or perhaps usual scale of the, the, that um, the impact is operating at? Yeah, well, that's where you get quite complicated, actually, Sam, because the whole impact assessment, monitoring, measurement and reporting is a huge technical area. And believe me, there's a lot smarter people than me working on it. Um, and anybody who says they've got it sorted, I think, is kidding themselves because it is quite complex. But the initial stage of it is to assess what the impact is, and we can scale that between one and five. And then we also look at the financial risk and the financial return. And those three um, criteria make up a bit of a matrix that we then look at an investment by itself and then look at its effect on our portfolio. When you put it inside the portfolio, does it have a positive effect on the portfolio overall? So say some investments that we look at might be more risky, but because they've got a high impact or a high return, when you put it into the portfolio, it still manages to meet all the portfolio requirements which are set in our policy. How do you know that it's positive? I, I, I can imagine I could put something together that sounds quite good, but it, it might be positive, say, for me, but not be positive for other people. How, does it have to be some positive? Sorry, the, does it have to some total to be positive or does it have to be totally positive entirely positive i got there uh, no i think you've hit on a good point there is that there are always some potentials for negative impact in any investment as well as the positive so as part of the due diligence process just like you do a financial due diligence where you actually go through the the, 
the proposition like a dose of salts, basically take it apart and put it back together again. You do the same on a lesser scale with the impact potential. So you dig right down deep into what the what the proposition, what the entity is going, is asking them for the money for, and you look at where the potential for positive impact is and where the potential for negative impact is, and you try and balance out the two and then do an overall assessment of is it going to have a positive impact. And the, the procedure that we use for that has been developed in the main by a crowd called the Impact Management Project, which is an organisation that is an amalgamation of over 200 entities, I think, who've been looking at this for a long time. So it's a pretty robust process. I'm pretty pleased with it, really. Do you... Is, is your role as the assessor of those things, auditor perhaps, or or is it more of helping the communities to be able to explain it or organisations to be able to explain it in such a way that demonstrates that, or is it perhaps a bit of both? Yeah, do all of the above. So, you know, when we first started doing Invective, you just don't get people who roll into your door and say, hey, I've got a proposition, I've done my impact statement, I've done my theory of change, here's all my financials, here's, here's all my business plan. That doesn't happen that often. So part of our role is to actually try and build what we call the ecosystem for social enterprises and for impact investments throughout the Bay of Plenty so that we can get this steady stream uh, this stream of, of investment-ready propositions. So we will also quite often help an organisation if we can see that their idea has got potential, but they haven't necessarily done their business plan and done all of this. We could help pay for them to get a feasibility, stand, feasibility study done or pay for a business plan to be prepared that would you know, be for us to look at but also be for other parties to look at to invest. So, yeah, we do that quite often. That's so cool. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Eric Clapton. If I could change the world, that's a good one. Why this one? <laughs> what do you think? If I could change the world, wow, what would I do? the stars pull one down for you shining on my heart so you could see the truth and this love I have inside is everything it seems but for now I couldn't be king Even 
So, Terry, if you could change the world, what would you do? What would you do? Um, I'd certainly make some more concerted efforts in getting into the housing challenges that are out there and trying to find some answers. You, you raised a good point some there. Some ideas. That, you raised a good point that you have like $7 million to give out, and depending on where you build it, that might only build you 10 houses. How no, do you... Not even that <laughs> so how do you... How do you invest in a way that that like makes a difference for for more than that many families? Yeah, well, that's a good question, Sam. Actually, we're working on a number of different strategies, which I'm not really too keen on putting out there until I've got further down the track of making sure that they will actually work. But where we see it is there's a number of different parties that are working in the housing space. Certainly, government through Kuanga Ora and the HUD are doing their best to try and roll out housing. Um, there's subdivisions happening everywhere that we know about. So the commercial developers are working as fast as they can, given the limitations on supplies, the sector that COVID has caused lots of issues around. So where we play is in this places, in this spaces where neither government nor the commercial developers will go. And at the moment, that is really in the place of developing one and two bedroom units because these are what the social housing providers need and they are not what commercial developers will normally build because they just don't make enough money on it. So that's fine. Everybody needs to make money in the commercial world. That's great. But there's a gap there that we can see at the moment that really we could play as a part in. So what we're doing on is working on a plan to develop a product that will attract not only our funding, our investment, but the funding perhaps of mum and dad investors right up to KiwiSaver investors to help really put a bomb on under 
the development of social housing across the Bay of Plenty, and not specifically limited to the Bay of Plenty. This model could work anywhere. Before the break, you mentioned the theory of change. You've mentioned it in terms of the applicants putting together the theory of change or a theory of change analysis or something. Mm. What's Mm. that? What is that? Yeah. Okay, so putting it simply, um, if you do something that's called an activity, which provides outputs, something happens as a result of that, um, those outputs then produce outcomes, and it's the outcomes that long-term on a more global scale will So a theory of change proves that if we give an organisation investment or grants, you know, they, and they conduct activities, that they will, these will lead to outcomes, outputs, which will lead to outcomes, which will lead to impact in the community at the end of the day. It stops what I call um, leaping over a giant building with a tall bound, as in, you give me money and I will change the world. Fine, that's great, but exactly how are you going to do that? <laughs> and it breaks it down into those individual steps. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a really common tool in our sphere, our sector. In terms of the, the, the projects that people are working on, did you have particular COVID things come through? Did you put together a – was it a COVID response from the Bay Trust? Yes, there was. Yeah, we pretty immediately worked with other funders around the region to develop a co-funding approach to address COVID-specific issues. Um, COVID had an interesting effect on our applications, though, because many organisations sort of sat back for a while and didn't actually apply to us. So as COVID hit, and in the first nine months of last year, certainly, our actual application numbers were down. Um so, you know, I think the effect of COVID has occurred in different ways for different organisations. Some were flat out and needed support, which they got through the COVID fund. Others weren't that busy and have taken a bit of a back seat. I think the implications of COVID, though, are going to be ongoing, and I don't think we're through this yet. And I think, you know, certainly we'll be seeing COVID-related activities applying to us for funds for the next couple of years. I've been meaning to look it up because I quoted this the last week or so. The Secretary for Education at the start of COVID said that the um, the, the pandemic doesn't create inequities, it just exposes them. Absolutely, did, yeah. Did you see sense. that kind of response? Yes, certainly in the, some of the surveys and that and the information that we're getting now, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly, it's what they call the J-curve, where the country is recovering really fast for some people, but some are still going down. Yeah. yeah it's, it's difficult. Do you, do you think we'll see long-term effects of, of COVID that, that, that you'll see coming through in projects? Undoubtedly. Yeah. Have you, has the... We just have to be ready to answer the needs for that. Did you did the organisation or the, the organisations like yours did it um, did it cause you to think differently about how you work? Uh, people have people have said on a national level that uh, that that money became a bit not not easier to get, but more focused on that impact rather than on just the inputs. And and people saying maybe they hope that that will stick. Did you have you noticed anything like that? Um, I think that is more of a gradual progression over the years that I've been working in this place. 
um, you know, once upon a time you just gave people money because they asked for it and it sounded like it was good. You did no real in-depth exercise of trying to understand what was the connection between the money and the activity and producing long-term outcomes or impact in the community. So there's been a much stronger focus on that for quite some time. But I think one of the effects with COVID was that government put out a lot of money. So for quite a while there was an awful lot of money floating around from government. So that's probably why they weren't applying to us for funds. And um, they'll come back, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> So the other part of your job is the partnerships manager. Is is that about you know finding these groups and organisations and uh, helping them to to consider this route? Well, yes. Um, the partnerships is more about we have a specific fund which is called the Strategic Partnership Fund, and it is aimed at higher giving away higher levels of money. So it's for applications of over 100,000. So how that works is there's two parts, the strategic and the partnership. So with that, we have a partnership approach. It's not um, we, it's not people coming here, keeping hands, saying, give us some money. It starts with a discussion, which moves into a partnership, and then the application comes. So in addition to that, so there's a whole different way of, of getting money out to communities is developing that, that relationship, that partnership with entities before they get the money. The other part of that is it needs to be strategic and we've got our own uh, our own definition of what is strategic so that, you know, don't ask me because I can't remember <laughs> it off the top of my head, but it's up on our website. So it's not just for large applications, they need to be strategic, they need to be um, organisations that are, have projects that are making a deep difference in communities in some way. So we have a number of those each year. There's about two million a year, I think, in that fund to give away, depending on the on what else is coming out from previous years. Um, one of the biggest ones we have in that is our relationship with Sport Bay of Plenty, where we have a couple of years, nearly three years ago now, we granted them nine years of funding under the Strategic Partnership Fund. Now, that's pretty much unheard of in New Zealand. I don't know of any other organisation that's done that like us. Um, mostly, you would get perhaps three years of funding. But this particular group, SportBop, we had funded them for 21 years. So that's seven times that they had jumped through the hoops to get money out of us for a three-year contract. So we decided it was time for a different <laughs> approach. And the impact that that has had on that organisation has been astounding. It's 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 been a great was a great process to go through to really look at ourselves as a funder and say, are we being effective here? Is this the right thing to do to this group? No, it wasn't. So how do we find a better way? And it meant that when the application, which wasn't really an application, there was no form. It was just a presentation to Bay Trust trustees but it was done jointly by myself and by Sport Bay Plenty representatives. So we evolved it together and we showed trustees the history. We showed them how the process was damaging to the organisation to have to have this three-year funding rollover. We showed them how it could work in a different way and what the benefits would be. And we walked out of that room saying we did it. It was, it was a pretty moving moment, actually because it hadn't been done before and trustees got on board and they yeah, could see that it could work and it could work better. And that's so making a different awesome. it's making a difference to that organization both because of the certainty of that funding but also 
I imagine that they're having to put less of their energies into that application all the time. They're actually able to focus more on what they want to be doing. Yes, that's the two things, the certainty of the of the hiring staff, because most of them were on three-year contracts. In the first year, they'd be getting bedded in. The second year, they'd be going out and do stuff. And in the third year, they'd be thinking, am I going to have a job next year? So, you know, it was all, it was all really pretty difficult <laughs> for them. So knowing that they've got they've got that position and that they can just go out and do stuff without having to worry about it. Yeah, so it's, it's had a huge impact on that organisation. You've been doing this job for a while, and in terms of that impact and in terms of that making a difference, do you have a clue as to what sort of interventions make the biggest difference? Oh, golly. You know, that's a really hard question, Sam. I remember when I first joined, I was a trustee for, I did two terms as a trustee for eight years from 2000 to 2008. Then in late 2009, a job came up and I applied for the job and got it and came to work as an employee. And I remember one of the first things that I learned was that it doesn't matter about the size of the application. Even the smallest applications can have the biggest impact to the people that you're affecting through that application. And it it doesn't need to be a huge amount of money to make an impact. Uh, There was a little group that we used to support for a lady who ran morning teas for people with um, depression and mental health issues in a small community. And it was just, it's like $500 a year maximum, I think, to pay for these morning teas. But to those people that were able to attend those morning teas, it was a huge thing, a huge thing. So, you know, when we, we used to see them and say that they'd got the money, there were tears in their eyes, made you feel like Santa Claus, actually. Um, it was incredibly moving. So, you know, it's not necessarily just the big amounts that you do that have an impact. It can be the small ones as well. And there's a whole spectrum in between. Let's take the second of your music choices. Let's have a Dire Straits, Brothers in Arms. Why this one? Oh, it's, it's an old throwback for me. It's um, kind of was my music probably 30-some years ago, 35 years ago. Um, it just spoke to me at the time. The title itself, Brothers in Arms, speaks to me, but the music, I think it's quite amazing, quite moving. Thank you. 
bubble sprite of the forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars, in your beloved universes. And I really hope, wherever you are, whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining, and illuminating for you more and more each day, who you are, the triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique, and here making things better. Thank you. Now beautiful people, as we know, we've been through so much together in the last more than a year since this journey began. And I'm so grateful for these five minutes with you. They've made a huge difference to me. I'm so grateful to Sam and the whole Blown Bubbles team for having me as part of the show and to all of you. Thank you. Now, of course, we know that we are more than a body. We know that we are more than a mind. We know that we are part of this infinite web of life and this infinite array of consciousness within which we are all co-evolving and contributing. Unique perspectives, unique gifts at all times. And within this process, of course, we move through different levels of awareness that this is taking place and of our own personal contributions and the contributions of those around us. So as I speak with you today, I'm heading out to my heart's home, Otakunui Eco Sanctuary, where I'm so lucky to have been for the last 12 years and before then at the aquarium for four years and in the process of connecting with the living world my whole life changed, my whole life direction changed and this was unexpected, this was not something I ever envisaged would happen but it did and so I think for all of us there are these different levels at which our life is moving and the unexpected may come in and and change the course of our life always for the better and we may not realize that it was for the better until further down the track but I think it always is and maybe this is another aspect of ourself coming forward and making these decisions on a level that we're not consciously aware of this morning I woke up to a very vibrant and beautiful rainbow and again, this reinforced for me that sense of the unseen world, that at all times there are these beautiful, beautiful wavelengths of light that surround us. And it's only when we have the right conditions, and that beautiful water vapour in the air and the rain, the water in the air, the water droplets can act like a prism. And that prism shows us what is there all the time we wouldn't normally be able to see. So I really hope that for you, whatever shifts and changes are taking place in your life, whatever unexpected circumstances arise, that you can have a sense of that support from the unseen and that actually whatever happens, you will make the best of it. Whatever happens, you will be able to 
direct your life, direct your conscious responses in a way that will be supportive to you and to those around you that you love. And even in the process of feeling overwhelmed, even in the process of feeling afraid, even in the process of feeling that something terribly disastrous has occurred unexpectedly, even that cycle of moving through those feelings to a point of strength, even if it takes our whole lives, is still an incredibly empowering experience. And I'm so grateful to all of us that we are alive in a time when we can talk about our feelings and we can help each other with these feelings. And it's a lot more straightforward. There are much less barriers in place now in terms of sharing our personal experiences and our personal realities. So thank you for allowing me to share mine and I'll talk with you again soon. Thanks so much. Kakiti. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Terry Eggleton. Terry, do you... I think that you're a pretty imaginative person. Um, you know, I've, I've watched, I watch the way that you practice. I watch the way that you vision things and how you've got this beautiful ability to explain things in ways that everybody understands. Is that something that you think is unique to you, your skill set, and people like you who, who operate in the way that you do? Is it, is it a problem, do you think, for people who are putting... Um, you know, their ideas together that they can't always kind of get it out or where does imagination sort of fit in that space? Well, golly, that's probably quite difficult to answer. Um, I think that the answer is on several levels. I think to get your ideas across, you have to actually care about what the other people think and what they understand. Um, I've always felt that if somebody doesn't understand what I'm saying, then the fault is with me, not with the person. Um, so I always try and make sure that I'm absolutely clear in how I communicate, particularly any difficult technical issues, because it is essential that you get those across and the other people can understand. Um, as far as imagination goes, I mean, you have to be able to see the big picture. You have to be able to see beyond your own particular situation in life and where you are and what you do. I always I have a, I have a bit of a philosophy in life which goes back to, um, was described very well, and that poem by John Doan, For Whom the Bell Tolls, which basically says, no man is an island unto himself, the death of one affects us all, so send not to find for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. And that always speaks to me in that we're not alone. Everything that we do is connected to everybody else. So you need to be, you need to be thinking all the time about what you're doing and how you can make the world a better place for everybody else because we are all connected. And if somebody is not doing well, then that affects you personally. So it's your responsibility to see how you can make changes for those people. And that's my role here. I mean, I can see the potential to create impact through my work. And that's what gets me out of bed in the morning, not the fact that they pay me. It's the fact that I could make an impact for somebody else. I could make changes that will help other people lead a better life. And that's that's got to be far better than you know, creating widgets or 
I don't like selling motor cars. <laughs> no, no offense to second-hand car salesmen, but that doesn't tickle my bones. So I've always kind of thought, I've got this, I've got these qualifications and degrees and postgrads and all this rubbish, but how can I use that to make this a better world to live in for everybody else? What can I do that will create a better place for everybody? And that's where my imagination goes wild. <laughs> <laughs> Terry, we've seen lots of change over the last, societal change over the last year. What do you think will stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick? Well, I kind of hope that we will retain some of the benefits that we had during lockdown. I don't know how you guys survived it, but I actually thought it was wonderful. Everybody was home. Everybody was being kind. People were out walking, playing, talking to each other from a distance, um, just find trying to find ways to be kind to each other. It was actually quite a beautiful time. And I think the fact that we live in New Zealand, we are so lucky in the way that we, not lucky really, it's good management from our government and others, that we have survived this crisis so far pretty bloody well. So yeah, I'd like to see us retain some of that, some of that culture that we developed through COVID and lockdown. Why do you think the be kind message was so successful? Maybe just struck at the right time to resonate with everybody and that they didn't have a lot of other alternatives. There's no sense ranting and railing against something that you can't change. You're at home. You can't go anywhere. You might as well just be kind because that is the easiest thing to be. <laughs> what lessons do you think we can take from the pandemic and the pandemic response for the bigger sorts of questions that we face, uh, things like climate change, biodiversity, social injustice on a, a larger scale? Um, that we all have the power to make change and we all have the power to influence the outcomes that we are seeking. When we work together, it's just, it's just phenomenal what we can achieve. But when we're all trying to take each other in different directions, it's a nightmare. And we have certainly shown that when we set our minds to it, we can do stuff. We have. We can. I wonder why we're so happily not doing stuff at that scale most of the time, when there are those other challenges that we do need to address. Well, I think part of it is that people just they feel powerless. They can, particularly, say, climate change is a really good example. Um, when they see what is, the, what is the challenge ahead of us in relation to reversing climate change, everybody just kind of throws up their hands in horror and think, well, there's nothing I can actually do. But on an individual scale, there are things that we can do. As a family, there are things that we can do. So, you know, I remember seeing a cartoon many years ago and it was, a lot, it was all these little heads and they all had little bubbles coming out of them and they all said, I'm only one person. I can't make any change all by myself. <laughs> and there were a whole crowd of people thinking the same thing. And it's always stuck with me because really that is the only thing that you can change is your own behaviour. And until you do that, you can't ask anybody else to change theirs. So, Terry, I have some questions to end the show with. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Um, I think increasing our impact investment portfolio. We've now got around 17.5 million committed. It's not all drawn down, but it is committed. And that is growing day by day. I've got probably another 10 to $20 million worth of investments that are at various stages of coming to us for investment. And I think that has been a huge achievement for the trust, for the trustees to invest in that. And I'm really glad that I was able to help them see the potential for impact investment. Absolutely. You said that you're trying to avoid 
superhero logic and you don't want people to just assume that they can leap over a small building if you give them some money but i'm going to we're writing a book of these conversations <laughs> which we are calling tomorrow's heroes so it's our team of people doing good work so you are in that team what is the superpower that's got right. you into the mansion what's my superpower mm. yep good question I think it is coming from a background, I'm a chartered accountant by trade, forgive me for that, but I think having that analytical skill, but a passion for the community and combining all those skills and my other experience and qualifications together has enabled me to be an all-round person who can, who has the skills and ability to lead the charge in this particular area. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? A quiet activist, perhaps, yeah. Um, I'm certainly an activist in the work that I do, I think, for Bay Trust. Um, I mean, I've been here nearly 12 years, and I believe I've implemented a lot of change over that time, a lot of positive change. So being an activist in this situation, though, means that I have to bring everybody along with me because I don't make the decisions, I just make recommendations. <laughs> so I have to convince the board to come along with me, which is challenging at times, but they're there for a reason. It must make it easier knowing that you've managed to pull together both that accounting um, sort of detail with that, the the social impact or the environmental impact, actually bringing those two things together onto a page must make it an awful lot easier for those yep. trust members to actually make decisions. I believe so. You know, I'm a bit of a jack of all trades and a specialist in none, but um, I think being able to actually look at the financial side and the business side of things, plus consider the social side and the environmental side, enables me to present a balanced view to the decision makers and we've made some good decisions over the years. So you said before that what gets you out of bed in the morning is about seeing potential enabling others to make a difference but it's one of my end out it's one of my questions for the end so I'm going to ask it anyway. What motivates you? Um, what motivates me? Doing what I do, doing this job. I absolutely love this job um, and I see the potential for Bay Trust to make significant significant impact in areas that are really hard, like climate change, like housing, like creating jobs in difficult communities through our asset base rather than through our granting base. And that excites me, that challenges me. I've seen it done overseas. I've seen funds, overseas foundations, as they call them over there, who are 100% impact investment invested. You know, they don't have any commercial investments. Every investment they make is for impact. And I think, wow, wouldn't that be exciting? <laughs> so that's the big challenge, is it, to to, to <laughs> yeah, well, make a shift to that? I've got a band of between 10 and 20% for impact investments of, of our, as a percentage of our total portfolio, but I'm not letting that limit me, Sam. <laughs> Are there areas of impact that you would dearly love to see that just don't come through, that... that we should be encouraging community groups to, to work on or organisations to work on? Well, certainly the environmental one was really slow. If you look back historically, the percentage of grants that went to environmental-type projects across New Zealand and Australia was low. 3% was about the average for many, many years. 
ours is gradually crept up as we've driven in that area. But yeah, there, there needs to be more. There's a huge need in that area and there needs to be more activity there. We've just got this super project on our books at the moment, which is asking for an enormous amount of money. Um, but I, I, I think it's worth it because you've got to make radical change there. You don't have an environment, you don't have anything, do you? No, exactly. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Look at what changes you can make. Don't be scared of climate change. Look, at, there's plenty of evidence out there that will tell you what are the best things that you can do in your home to reduce your climate change, your climate footprint, your carbon footprint, and just make those changes individually. If we all did that, we'd be a lot better off. Exactly. Thank you for that. Moira. Terry, um, I just think you're amazing, and I love that you have got your eye on the future and are anticipating problems and, you know, all the stuff that we've got in housing. You've been talking about that for a long while now. This this is, um, you know, while half of the world seems ho- horrified and shocked, um, you're going, well, come on, catch up. And I, I appreciate that, and I appreciate your wisdom um, in that space and the way that you hold our community so gently in your hands. Um, and thank you for all that you do. And thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Mawera. Thank you, Sam. Thank you very much for joining us. No worries.
You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoons at three and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is 10th Avenue North. No man is an island. I'm Samuel Man in Soy's Bay Dunedin with Mawera Karatai in Fakatani and in Tauranga, Terry Eggleton. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.